Today we celebrate the ascension of Jesus, which took place 40 days after his resurrection. And uh, in 10 days from this day, the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. So not this Sunday, but next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday when we remember that great occasion. But until a couple of years ago, I never really, until I studied it, I never really saw much in the ascension because you kind of think like, well, he came from heaven, he went back to heaven. That's logical, that makes sense. But it features so powerfully in the scriptures, but you've got to look for it because often the apostles were giving testimony, giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his ascension features very, 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 very strongly in the New Testament teachings. And the reason for that is because it's got such direct application to you and I as believers. Is that okay? So let's just go through it. So in Acts chapter 6, we read of the occasion. This is the historical record of the occasion. So I mean Acts chapter 1. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read just from verses 6 to 11. Mark's gospel mentions the ascension, and Luke's gospel mentions the ascension. But listen what it says, verse 6. Then they gathered around him, around Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still did not understand concerning the kingdom of God. Is that right? And so he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. Yes, there would be work of restoration, but Jesus spent his whole ministry teaching the kingdom of God is in you. It's at hand. You know, he said, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom. And on the road to Emmaus, when he went with the disciples into the house of other disciples, he partook of communion. So what was he saying? The kingdom is here. Amen. And so... So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now I want you to just imagine it, picture it. They're standing, he's talking to them, telling them concerning the kingdom. And while this is happening, a cloud envelops Jesus, hides him from their sight, and uh, he's taken up in front of their eyes. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, not angels, men, dressed in white, stood beside them, Moses and Elijah. The Gospels tell us, so it's highly likely it's them, because they appeared with him at his transfiguration. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, in exact reverse order, he was taken from their sight, hidden in a cloud, and disappeared up, so they were saying, in the same way he's going to come back, but he'll be revealed out of a cloud. So in the same way he's going to come back, that you've seen him go to heaven. So like I said, it held a lot of significance. Now I just want to go through it very quickly. The Bible shows us, when I mention it, you're going to go, oh yeah, those scriptures, those scriptures, those scriptures, those scriptures, all right? So we read of the occasion now that he ascended into heaven. We know from Acts chapter 2, in, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, that he's seated at the right hand, and other verses, he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven, okay? 
So that's where he is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then on the day of Pentecost, just to show you that though Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he's still busy. In other words, he still has a ministry. That ministry is continuing. Okay, And so he bestowed the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He poured out the Spirit from heaven. So that happened while he was in heaven. He added, because it says, and the Lord added daily to the church those that were being saved. So Jesus is still working, adding disciples. We've just seen a video clip, five minutes long, of hundreds of ex-Hindus, you know, Hindus becoming born again and becoming ex-Hindus. Now they're being Christians. That is the Lord working with his church. So from where he is, he's still working. He's adding disciples. And he worked with the disciples as they went immediately. They went forth preaching in Mark 16 and says, And the Lord went with them and did signs and wonders. So the Lord was going, although he was in heaven, he was going with them. So I mentioned it not last year, the year before, his absence is in order that he can be more present all over the world. Because before he ascended, he was confined to a limited physical body. And if he was with us here, he couldn't be with Charles and his church down the road. But as soon as he ascended, he could be with them everywhere. And that's what he said to the disciples. He said, and lo, I will be with you always. Amen. And so it reminds us of that. So he healed the layman at the gate beautiful because Peter said it was by faith in the name of Jesus. It was Jesus who healed this man. So the Lord is working, amen? He stood to receive the first martyr, Stephen, because Stephen had an open vision as they were stoning him. And he said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And he stood up to receive Stephen's spirit. He appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. So Jesus is busy, amen? Do you know, all over the Muslim world, he's appearing to Muslims in dreams, in visions, in person. He's coming to them. And um, I was there with Prophet Quirbus when there was a group of Muslims from Yemen, all in their garb, in their dress. And uh, one of the men, Jesus appeared to him and said, you need to go and see this man. He will teach you the way. And he got a whole lot of friends and they flew from Yemen to Stilfontein, and sat in the church. They just about bought the, everything out of the bookshop, crucifixes, anointing oil, <laughs> everything, and they went back. And uh, they went back to Yemen. And so the Bible tells us that he makes intercession for his people. He ever lives to make intercession. He's able to strengthen and encourage the tempted. He's able to sympathize with the weak. He's able to save to the uttermost. He lives forever. He's our great high priest. He possesses a priesthood that will never be passed on because he lives forever. He appears in the presence of God for us. He's our advocate with the Father, says John, and he is waiting until all enemies become his footstool. So in other words, he's working through us, and then he says to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be conquered is death. Is that okay? And so we see that while he was on earth, there was a pre-existent glory. Then there was a glory that was displayed when he became flesh. But now he has a different glory. He's gone back to the glory that he had before that he came. So not only that, but the ascension is the proof of the victory of Jesus. And there's a real, a real sense of that his position on the throne is a reward for his obedience. Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 2. Because he became obedient unto death, God has highly exalted him. Now, all of this has got 
real application for us. I'm going to just throw things in every now and then. The ascension of Jesus means everything for us, already because of all the reasons I've mentioned. But not only that, Peter tells us that if we humble ourselves, if we submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will raise us up. And so there's a real sense in which when we overcome, we begin to really experience the seated in heavenly realm with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll give you some verses for that. So it was a proof of his victory. It was a position of honor. It was a place of power, a place of happiness. Because Psalm 16 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that awesome? And so even for Jesus, it's a place of delight. And so he humbled himself, he took on the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, but now God has exalted him back to that place. And that's why in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he said, Lord, glorify me with the glory that I had once before. And Jesus said, I have glorified and will glorify it again, okay? So it's a place of rest, a place of permanence. It's heavenly as far as his ministry is concerned. And the fact that Jesus is seated there, shows us that his work of redemption is finished. Salvation has been accomplished. But how many of you know the work of sanctification is still going on? And that's because of where he's seated right now. And uh, it's a place of lordship, intercession, and where he pours out the gift of the Spirit, his presence, and we expect him to return from there. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 6. King James translation, or New King James translation. But just listen to this. I'm going to say, read the first two words to you, and then we're going to go on into the rest of the verse. Is that okay? You're all listening? But God. Everybody say, but God. So you see, it's in the Bible. You know, I went through a hard time, and it was really tough in there. But God. Amen? And basically, what Paul was talking about in the verses prior to this, he was saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed, you know, the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. All of us at one time lived among us, Paul said, and we were by nature objects of wrath, of God's wrath. But God, so I gave you the background, all right? I quoted the background. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he hath loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Then he's going to go on to say it a bit later in later verses, but in brackets it says, by grace you have been saved. Amen? Everybody say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. So he raised us up together. He made us alive together with Christ. And when Paul is writing that, he's not saying we were made alive together because we all came you know, to the Lord at different times. But we were made alive together with Christ. So Paul goes into it. And this is the mystical union that a lot of the ancient theologians wrote about, the old-time theologians. They talked about this mystical union between us and Jesus. So we were made alive together with Christ. So you've got to understand that when Jesus was raised from the dead, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were made alive together with him. You shared in his resurrection life and power. And Paul says this, by grace you've been saved. And then he says this, and raised us up together. 
It's not there, but I'm going to put the words in. You raised us up together with Christ. So this is what John is talking about in Revelation. He's talking about those who participate in the first resurrection. That's this. Does not partake, will not go through the second death. And the second death is eternity separated from God. That's the book of Revelation. Are you good? So he raised us up together with Christ, and he made us to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. And he actually says, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Is that good? So have a look at that verse there. You see the word places is in brackets. In other Bibles, it would be in italics. It would be italicized. In other words, the translators put that in to try and show us what the heavenly is. But if we take it out, it doesn't make any difference because he raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Is that okay? Now, I want you to know I did a little bit of Greek study and then I gave it up. But the point that I wanted to bring out for you is that the tense in this verse here is that it has already taken place. Is that okay? It's basically past tense. It's happened. In other words, what the apostle is saying, the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, he raised you up together with Christ. He made you sit together in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. It's happened. It's not something you've got to try and attain to. It's not something you've got to try and do. It's a, an accomplished fact. It's part of your salvation. And so here comes the thing. Here comes the thing. And I know we're talking about the ascension of Jesus, but I want to make it applicable to us. What does it mean to us? It means that, you know, your tush is sitting on a chair and the address is 29 DF Milan Road. But according to the Apostle Paul, he is saying that you actually literally are, maybe not physically, maybe we're not occupying it spatially, but spiritually, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I mean, isn't that incredible? Now, I mean, we would all think and feel it a great honor if your phone rings, you don't recognize the number, and this man talks to you, and he tells you there's some men at the door. And uh, he's inviting you to come and sit with him and have a meal and discuss. And as he's talking, he says, you know, they're at your house right now. There's a knock on the door and you're going to open the door. And here is a security contingent from President Ramaphosa's office. And you go like, what? And uh, he's invited me? Why? And you go and he comes in and he says, sit down. And um, he said, you know, your name came to me, and so I got a hold of you, but um, what I'd like you to be, I'd like you to be my personal advisor. I mean, we'd count that an honor and a privilege, yeah. would we not? Yes. We'd go like, yeah. see, talking to me, you know? I mean, it makes absolute sense, of course, but, you know, but, <laughs> but me, you know, why me? Well, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done that, literally, for us. And he said, come. I want you to come and sit with me. Not to be his advisor, but to co-work with him. Same thing. And so, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Now, how does that, what impact does that make on my life? How does that affect 
my day-to-day Christian walk. What does that do for me? Well, it does everything. But why aren't we experiencing it? Maybe because, you know, I haven't taught it properly. I don't know. But uh, I'm changing that tonight. Is that okay? No, but I have taught it in the past. And the incredible thing is that we occupy that space. Now, I mentioned it on Sunday morning, and it really touched me in one of the targums about this particular Pharisee or this Jewish leader who actually died of a heart attack because he had a vision or, or, or whatever it was, but in a, like an appearance or the opening of the heavens, and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you know with spiritual things, you immediately recognize it. You know what it means. And he dies of a heart attack, and his dying words are, there's a man. There's a man sitting at the right hand of God. You see, they couldn't conceive that. But maybe, maybe that's the same thing that we struggle with. We struggle with the fact that there's a man, Christ Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. But a bigger wonder than that is this, is that in Christ, we are seated there. So mankind, people, Christians, men and women in Christ are seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that becomes a really powerful thing. But what Paul tries to tell us, it's already happened. And so what he's trying to tell us, we are already raised. And as far as God is concerned, we are already glorified. So one greater than our president, one better than any king has invited you into the throne room of heaven. And so... The incredible thing is this, is that we are not the power behind the throne, but the throne is the power behind us. Yeah, and that starts to change things. Is that okay? So, you know, if I had my Bible here, one of the easy ways to explain it is if I take my Bible out of my bag and I take a little piece of paper and um, I put the paper inside of my Bible like this. And uh, I give my Bible to Andre. The paper is still in the Bible. Let's just say I want to bless somebody. Maybe Pastor Corne down in Mosselby. And then I put this with the DHL. And I dispatch it. When the Bible gets to Mosselby, where will the paper be? Still in the Bible. And really, that's our position in Christ. So when he went to heaven, we went with him. We ascended in him. So we're there in Christ. Is that okay? And so we need to see that and understand that. So here it is. All the co's, okay? It's a cooperative almost. So we co-died with Christ. We were co-buried. We were co-resurrected. We were co-joined with him. We were co-raised. Now we co-seated with him in the heavenly realms where we co-rule and co-work with him. So we are laborers together with him. And that's the modus operandi of Jesus. He said, whatever I see the Father doing, that I do. Whatever I hear the Father speaking, that I do. He was a co-laborer, a co-worker with Christ Jesus. Now, um, in Ephesians 2, I quoted those verses to you where the Apostle Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy. But God. Everybody say it with me. But God, amen, who's rich in mercy. I want to just give you the background to those verses. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, because there's no chapters and verses in the original text. So Paul is writing and he gives a little bit of background to the resurrection. And the background to it is this, is that God wanted to show us, here it is, the exceeding greatness of his power 
toward us who believe. That power, basically, is like the working of his mighty strength. The NIV says it's the working of his mighty power, says the New King James, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places or heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age which is to come, which is what we live in now. That's why it's a big deal, because it's the working of God's power. So the working of God's power in us when we accepted Jesus was that he immediately raised us and seated us at the right hand of the Father. Amen? So the New Testament writers really make a very big deal of it. And so Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said this in Acts chapter 2, verses 33 to 36. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself in Psalm 110, Verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that assuredly God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. But so where's Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. So in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the apostle Paul makes a big deal of it and he says this, that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. And when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on heaven. Everyone say sat down. You know, I think I said this year before last when we did have Ascension Day. I think it was year before last. And I said this. It's really incredible because Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Paul says here, Jesus sat down. And for me, the best way to explain this is this, that when Jesus had worked at our salvation, the sitting down in the Hebrew thinking was, the work is finished. So when he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. He was saying, the work of salvation finished in cloth. This was the finishing of what he said on the cross, it is finished. Is that all right? But I believe he immediately then stood up to begin his priestly ministry in heaven. Because the priests never sat down. They were never allowed to sit down in the temple. They never sat down. They were standing and serving in the temple. And so positionally, Jesus sat down and immediately stood up. So the work of salvation is finished, but then his work as our high priest immediately continued. And so that's why Stephen sees him standing to receive his spirit as his great high priest. Amen? And so it's a big deal, this thing about the ascension. So the Father was validating the ministry of Jesus as a man. It's incredible. So do you want to have a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12? Isn't it wonderful how the Holy Spirit inspires the use of words? Now imagine if the Apostle Paul had heard wrong and um, had not put this particular word in, It would have changed the outcome of that whole verse. But look at what he says. But this man, can you see that? Hebrews 10, 12. But this man. So why does the Holy Spirit inspire that? Because, you know, this son of God or this Lord of glory or this Christ, he could have used any of those. But the Holy Spirit inspired that word for you and me. But this man 
after he had offered one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So he's just affirming our position. Come on, church. We need to understand our position in Christ is in the heavenly or the heavenlies. But let's use the word. It's in heavenly places, okay? There's four realms, and these realms came about because of man's sin. And the first realm basically is glory because Psalm 8 tells us he set his glory above the heavens. And then there's the heavens, and then there's the earth, and then there's below the earth. So there's different realms, but the realm that we are in is in the heavenlies. That's actually the realm that we live in. And so mankind and we are now seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So a man sits on the throne, which to me is really, really incredible. And uh, showing that God has deified us. So Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm, verses 3 to 6 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now let me just tell you what God's thoughts for you are. Let me just tell you. When we know that God has good thoughts for us, is that all right? But the mindfulness of God is this the Son of Man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. If you put it together with Hebrews 2, you made him a little lower than God. Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Now, isn't that incredible? God made you a little lower than himself. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. So you're a little lower than God. Yes. So there's God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then just underneath, just a little lower. Yeah. Now, Andre shared that with me in the Hebrew interpretation. But chat to Andre about it. It got incredible insight to that, um, you know, as far as the Hebrew is, is concerning that particular verse. So a little bit underneath God in our, in our importance, in our authority, in whatever. So it's not God and Jesus and Holy Spirit, then angels, and then demons, and then us. No, 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 no. You know, it's like they say in the Middle Ages, there was man, and then there was his children, and then there was his dogs and cows and everything, and then there was the wife. No, but that's how they regarded it in the Middle Ages. It's true. It's true. So, you know, the wife was way down there. Now, how that came about, heaven knows, you know. But the thing is, you know, sometimes we think that it's like that. with it. No, it's not. We were made a little lower than God. So the amazing thing is, he says, but now you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. That's an Old Testament scripture, church. That's an all. He's put all things under your feet. So in other words, if all things are under your feet and you seated with Christ in the heavenlies, it's far under your feet. Is that okay? It's far beneath you. And it should begin to speak to us concerning the kind of authority we have in Christ Jesus. Is everybody listening to me? So I, I want to try and just explain that to you, but let me just reinforce this point. Philippians 2, 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul says, let this same mind be in you. Okay, everybody say, in me, I need to have this mind of Christ, this particular thought. The segment of the mind of Christ. Do you want to hear what it is? Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. One translation says Jesus didn't have to grasp at equality with God. 
Why didn't he have to grasp at that equality? Because he was equal with God. So when Paul says, you need to have this thought in your mind, you don't have to grasp at, you know, trying to be and to elevate yourself and be in a position with God, level with God. Jesus took us, he's seated at the right hand of God, which is a place of power, privilege, and authority, and he says, come, you sit here, right here with me. We sit on the same level. Same chair level. It's not one higher chair and a slightly lower chair and lower. It's on the right. I mean, that, isn't that amazing? I mean, doesn't that do something for you? Because that should have an outworking and an impact into our daily life. Because that's where we operate from. In other words, we operate in a realm. Now, I want to just say it, and I, you know, I will do some teaching on it. But I do not believe, and that's why I'm teaching on Udemy, that who is Satan really? He was not Lucifer which means then, according to their theology, he was never an archangel. Number two, he was never then the worship leader in heaven. Number three, it means that he doesn't have right of access to heaven because he once was an authority who was there. He doesn't have that. So he can't. He can accuse us in our consciences before God, but not to God in his presence in heaven. You know, I mean, for heaven's sake, how stupid can some people be? Because if he says about human beings, no one can see God's face and live, how can that little wormish, devilish thing go and stand in the face of God? And I mean, he would be obliterated in a second by the glory of God. He can't. He has no right of access. And I show it from Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. So, amen. So, anyway, I don't know how I got there, but it was fun. Anyway, so let the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. So he puts us on a level plane with Jesus. So we have got such authority over the devil that it shouldn't even be a contest between us and the devil. Is that okay? We should have such victory and such authority because we're in a place of union with Christ and he's made us equal with Christ. Pastor John, can you really, honestly, well, just read some of the Psalms, you know, that the Elohim called his Elohim together and consulted with them and said, you know why there's such nonsense on earth? It's because you're not taking your place as Elohim, as gods. And... um, I can't remember which psalm, but it might be like 86 or something like that. I may be wrong. But anyway, and so God is calling us, church, I believe, more and more to understand our position and authority, our place where we are seated. And so the ascension becomes significant to us. Can I give you a verse that proves it? I'm glad you said yes. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus said this, to him who overcomes. And he wasn't talking about one day, one day, one day, one day. He was talking about in our lives. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So in other words, as we live out our lives, overcoming sin, overcoming the things in this world, he says, you will be stepping into your authority and you will be sitting with me on my throne. Is that okay? I mean, come on, church, that's amazing. I mean, let's face it, the more you exercise authority and you see the authority working, the more you grow in authority. And then Jesus is saying, it's a process, and you will see the outworking of it, and I will grant with you to sit my throne. Now, that's something that is already a past tense accomplishment as far as he's concerned, but it's a growing realization for us. Does this help you somewhat? 
Okay, so the ascension is also a completion of Christ's work of obedience, but I've already mentioned that. And obedience lifts you up. So just in your practical daily life, obedience exalts you. Jesus became obedient unto death. Therefore, God highly exalted him. So if we walk in humility and submission and obedience to Christ, our authority grows. Okay. So the next thing that it indicates in reality, and I'll explain the outworking of it, is that we are in reality, truthfully, not of this world. So Jesus said, be in the world, but not of the world. So, you know, people would think it a bit weird if you said, I'm not from here. I'm from somewhere else. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, it's true. We're not from here. We have, yeah, it's, that's right. I mean, and that's what Paul says. At one time you were aliens and strangers, but now you're part of the commonwealth of Israel, fellow citizens with God's people. And so, you know, don't say that because they think you are loony. And uh, I have a friend of mine, a friend of mine in England now, you know, because it's become so, can, you can't believe that England, that place of revival, they wanted to arrest him and put him in a loony bin because he, when he was preaching on the streets, telling people that he hears God speak and that he's praying for the sick, they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to send him to a psycho place because yes, somebody that claims he hears from God, he's hearing voices and he, can, he claims that he can heal the sick. I mean, what's happened to that country? Amen. I mean, I can see why God called me to be a part of revival there. But we're not of the world. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, the first two verses, he said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You once walked in this world. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But now he has raised us with Christ, seated us within the heavenly realm. So we need to live out of that world into this world. Now, I love what one pastor preached once on it, and he says this, my nationality does not reflect my citizenship. I'm going to say it again. My nationality is not a reflection of my citizenship because I'm a South African national, but I'm a citizen of heaven. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he said, listen to what he says, King James translation. He's not talking about speech. He said, our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word conversation is an old-fashioned word which means our lifestyles, our living, our way of life. He said our conversation is not from this world. Our conversation is from heaven. But also our speech should be from heaven. And when I close in a couple of minutes, you'll see why. So Christians, basically we are ambassadors from heaven to earth. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Listen to what he says. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Little faith will bring your soul to heaven. Great faith will bring heaven to your soul. So now the reason why our citizenship is in heaven, but our nationality is South African, is so that we can bring from what is there to here. Amen? And so it's our duty this pastor said this, we need to work out our royal position in this world. 
So how do we implement it? It's very interesting. To implement it, as we start to draw to a close, let me tell you the story. The book of Esther is amazing because it's written at the same time or the, more or less in the same period of time as the book of Daniel. And it's just this little nugget of a story, a beautiful story, how even though the Jews were already you know, in the land of exile in Babylon, this little story unfolds. And it's about this particular king, the King James calls him Asahorus, um, the NIV Xerxes, King Xerxes. Now he's the king, and he's very wealthy. He's got 127 provinces. I mean, his kingdom goes all the way to India and all over the place, uh, right down to Egypt. Powerful king. And he has a wife. Her name is Vashti. So now he's throwing all these banquets for all these people, and then he has days and days of drinking and free drink and food for his citizens and things like that. And, and now he's lacquer drunk. And uh, now he wants to show off his beautiful wife. And she's probably had it up to here, you know, drunk old coot, you know, something like this. But he wants to show off her beauty. So he sends messengers, go and call Queen Vashti. And, uh, you know, so she's kind of like fed up, you know. Now he was he's just going to parade me around like a trophy. He's shown all his wealth, you know, and bragged about all his wealth. Now he's going to bring out, you know, he's shown his wealth, he's shown his animals, he's shown it. You know, now he's going to bring out, he's going to bring out, Comfro. And so she's got to come. And she goes, no, I'm not coming. You know, I'm not, no, I'm not coming. Shock horror, you don't say that to a king. You know, Bev would never dream of saying that to me. So, so. You don't say that to a king like that. So anyway, they get together, decide she's banished from his presence, never allowed back in his presence, and they say, go and find someone else. So people go through all out the country, and uh, there's this girl. They've hidden the fact that they're Jews, and they find Esther. And you know the story how she's brought in and things yes. like this. The incredible thing is that her cousin or uncle uh, Mordecai would often go to the gate, and he mentored her and raised her from young and taught her about the Lord and things like this. But one day sitting at the gate and hears a plot of some of the king's men, generals, plotting to kill the king, uh, King Asahorus. And uh, so he goes and tells Esther, and Esther goes and tells the king because he's pretty infatuated with Esther because of her beauty. And so the king investigates, and they put these two generals to death and those with them. But it's written in the annals of the king in the records. But no recognition comes to Mordecai because God is so clever. And later, a man rises up, and his name is Haman. Now, he's pretty important as far as the king is concerned, but every time he comes riding through the gate, everyone bows before Haman. Whoa, hail Haman, except Mordecai, just a man. Yeah, who are you? Just a man. And um, so Mordecai won't bow. So now Haman is furious, and then he makes a plot. He goes to King Asahorus, and he goes like, there is these people. And there's this particular man, and they're Jews, and we need to assassinate them. Now, this is centuries before Hitler. Same spirit. We need to assassinate the Jews. They're in Babylon, in exile already. So he says, the king says, yeah, do, do whatever you want to do. Gets the gallows ready. The King James says a pole to impale him on the pole, or to hang him from the gallows. And um, now he's really excited. The king tells him, you know. But uh, he leaves there, and, uh, and it just absolutely gets his goat because he goes riding out, and everybody's bowing, amen, you know, and he has Mordecai. Doesn't bow to no man. 
rides out. You know, he's furious. So his wife and his other advisors say, take him and hang him on this thing. So they built a thing, 50 cubits out. It's a massive thing, you know, so that he's really hung well, <laughs> you know. So um, the it, plot comes about. They tell Esther. Esther throws a banquet and just invites Haman. So he's like, eh. I mean, the pound seeds, now even the potential queen is inviting me to supper, you know? <laughs> Things are made. And um, then she invites the king, Asaharis, to some banquets. Eventually, she reveals to him, no, there's a plan. I'm actually a Jew. And there's a plan afoot by this man and, uh, to have me and my people killed. So the king goes, who is it? So she goes, oh, it's him, Haman. <laughs> because now he's at the third banquet, you know, it's him. And he's like, oh, 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 and the king is furious. He gets up and walks outside. And so Haman then runs and throws himself on her, pleading for his life, because he realizes the king's already made up his mind. So the king walks back in to say something, and he goes like, ah, oh, so now you're kerfuffling with my wife. Just, you know, what, what is going on here? And he goes like, that's it. Orders, go and, you know, go and hang him. And they said, oh, by the way, there's some gallows. <laughs> we'll hang him on the gallows. Now, this is the gallows that he's made. So come on, church, the devil always, in plotting your downfall and building a gallow for you, will end up hung on this same gallow that he sets for you. Is that okay? And so he's impaled on that thing. He's hung on that, his very own gallows. But the problem is that Haman has already enacted the edict to all the provinces and because the king said to him, do whatever you want. So Haman wrote out immediately, they got scribes to write out in, in every language of every province, if you find Jews, kill them. So it cannot be revoked. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians. You can't revoke a law once it's been made. It's got to stand. And that's why even Daniel was thrown to the lion's den. Same law, law of the Medes and Persians. And I can't revoke it. So he had to go through with it. So Mordecai then, you know, there was a little story in between how eventually, you know, Mordecai was honored because the king is reading and he, and he reads about the plot to kill him. And he goes, who was that guy? That was Mordecai. And Mordecai would always sit in the gates to try and get word of Esther. And he says, did we do anything for this man? No. So he orders Haman. This is before Haman's killed. You know, what should we do for a man who's done this and this? And he goes, oh, give him the chariot and put robes on him and a ring on his finger and parade him through town. He says, okay, you go and do that for Mordecai. <laughs> so everyone's going, is this the guy that won't bow to me? So he's got to run and go, oh, Mordecai, oh, Mordecai. You know, and what a story, incredible story. But anyway, and so Mordecai then goes to the king. That's, that's amazing. So should I just read it for you? And this is how we will close. Listen to the story. So then King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You, you, now listen to this. Listen to this. This is the ascension as it applies to us. Are you all ready? The whole message, the whole message is going to come down to this. So listen to what he says. And uh, he says, you yourselves. Now this is the king saying to Mordecai, and to Esther, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name. And seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Yeah. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, 
on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred for swift steeds. That's how your authority works. He's in the king's presence. He's seated with the king, so to speak. The king says, all right, this is what you do. You write whatever you want to write. You put my signet ring on it. In other words, operate, speak, act in my authority. And it's sent out on horseback, royal horses bred for swift steeds, for swift action. Isn't that incredible? And then it says this a few verses later, verse 15, when Mordecai left the king's presence, listen to this, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and purple robe of fine linen, and the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. Here was a man that was elevated to the throne. So how does it work? So Peter says in Acts chapter 3, and, and I'm closing. In Acts chapter 3, Peter says, when the lame man is healed, how was he healed? He says, this man was healed by faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ who healed him. Because when he prayed, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So what was Peter doing? He was living out of the throne realm. Yes. He was living out of the heavenly realm. He was speaking in the name of, if we put it in the, in the context of our story, he was speaking in the name of King Ahasuerus. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He was putting a signet ring onto the thing and saying, stand up and walk. Is that okay? He was living out his royalty on earth. So come on, church. That's how we live it out. That's how we act it out. That's how we live out of our ascended place at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. The king didn't say, all right, this is what I'm going to do and do it. He said, you guys write the story. You write whatever you want to write. So what did Mordecai write? Mordecai wrote to every Jew and said, there's a day on which there's going to an attack coming. Get swords, get weapons, defend yourselves, and anyone comes against you, slay them. And, and it happened, and they slew many, many of the Medo-Persians, the king's own people. They slew them, and the Jews survived. Is it okay? Amen. So what do we write? What do we write? What's our story? When you're faced with a story, what you do is you go to the Bible, and you say, what did Jesus say I can do? Because Peter says in 2 Peter, we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. Yeah. Yeah. So we act out of heaven when we write the script. But, you know, very often, you know, we say, but, yeah, but we don't feel like we're seated in the heavenly realms. Now, I want you to know, if the South African ambassador goes to China and he's got to go and speak to the supreme ruler of China, he doesn't walk in there and wait, feel the president's presence. He's not channeling President Ramaphosa's spirit. He walks in there. He doesn't wait and say, oh, I feel the president's presence now. Okay, 
Let's, let's do. No, no. He knows his position. So he walks in there and says, Supreme Ruler, this is what we, you know, the South African government. He just speaks. Is that okay? So you don't have to, don't have to wait till you feel anything. You act out of that position because that's where you're seated already. It's, it's an accomplished reality. So you just go to the words of the Bible. If you know anything in the Bible that's true, that's a promise, you can speak it out and say, that's it. So you don't have to feel it. You don't have to feel anything. You act out of the word. So my advice is, Paul's advice, as I close, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Since then, since then, NIV, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you've been raised with him, resurrected with him. He says, set your heart and then set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. What is the highest realm? Glory realm. Is that okay? And so our meditation needs to be, our realization, our revelation needs to be that that's where I'm seated and my mind and my affections. So in other words, in my logical thinking brain, I need to teach it to understand that I literally, spiritually occupy a place next to you on the right hand of Jesus, who's on the right hand of the Father, a place of privilege and a place of power and authority, and that's where I operate from. Is that okay? It means in real life that we should have an aerial view of all of our problems, because very often we're looking up at our problems like this and uh, making mountains out of molehills. But God wants us to change the perspective, and he wants us to have an aerial view down looking on them and go, oh, is this the problem? And our king, Ahasuerus, is saying, write the script. Take my seal. Put it on it. Whatever it is that you speak, that's what you can have. You can determine it. That's how our position in the heavenlies works. Is that okay? Amen. 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 Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Come on, give the Lord a hand. I thought that was good. <laughs> Amen. So understand, let's understand. I want you just to say after me, I'm seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. I am Christ's ambassador on earth. My nationality is South African. My citizenship is in heaven. My conversation is from heaven. I live out my royalty on earth but from a heavenly position. And so I can speak the script. I can write the script. I can act on behalf of my King and my Lord on this earth, and I can determine whatever I want in Jesus' name. So, Father, I bless your people. I bless all those who are viewing live stream. Father, I want to thank you that we will view our problems differently. Lord, that as ambassadors, as rulers, co-rulers with Christ, co-heirs, co-joined to Jesus, co-laborers, Lord, we will start to operate from that place, that realm, with that understanding, that revelation, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, that we will treat sickness that way, we'll treat problems that way, we'll treat lack that way. And Father, we will bring healing and deliverance to people from that realm. Father, we pray like the disciples, increase our faith, that like Charles Spurgeon says, a little faith will bring our soul to heaven. But great faith will bring heaven to our souls. Amen. And Father, we're praying for that in Jesus' name.
And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.